Bangor Worldwide has been promoting and supporting World Mission for over 85 years. Our podcasts are free of charge. You can find out more about us at www.worldwidemission.org. We hope you enjoy this talk. It's good to be with you. On behalf of the 50 million or so Americans who trace their roots back to uh, this island, I bring you greetings. Uh, Many like my mother's side of the family that uh, left uh, five generations ago. Um, we, uh, We haven't forgotten where we come from. In fact, our little granddaughter, we have one granddaughter. And our our children in California send us pictures. She's about 15 months old. She can can just say a few words. She does say pappy, by the way, which is a great one. Uh, That's me. Um, Even though she can't yet talk, she's learning to river dance. (laughs) And someday she'll have to decide whether to become a professional river dancer or a Baptist like her grandparents. Um, But I'm here tonight to share some good news with you. To tell you that God is at work in the Muslim world. I know when you switch on the television or you read in your newspapers, you see reports, and they're true, reports of Boko Haram and Hamas and ISIS, and just one story after another about some sort of tragedy and violence and hostility in the Muslim world. And it is true that these things are happening. It's a, it's a difficult world out there, and it's not easy to be a follower of Christ in the Muslim world. But God is also at work. As the Bible tells us, you know, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And it's in the darkest places that we see the light of the gospel that's shining forth. Um, Several years ago, I came through here. I actually spoke. I don't know if I spoke in this church or not. I, I, I spoke in 47 places in 17 days. And people asked me, have you been to Northern Ireland? I said, they tell me I was there. Uh, this time we're actually relaxing a little bit, enjoying just uh, the beauty of the country and the people. And uh, I want to share with you, some of you may have heard this message before, but for those who haven't, you need to know that God is at work and he's been faithful through the outpouring of Christian witness that's come from Northern Ireland. God is at work in the Muslim world. When I looked for a, a scripture passage that seemed to describe what God was doing, you know, sometimes we choose a passage and sometimes it chooses us. And this is one of those that just grabbed me because I had missionaries who came to me after working in the Muslim world for many years. And they said, David, Habakkuk 1.5 is something that's happening in our day. God is fulfilling this passage And, you know, I'd read Habakkuk as I read through the Bible, but honestly, I'd never stuck on this verse until I looked at it more closely and I'd heard a missionary say, look at what God is saying here. This is God speaking. He says, look to the nations, watch and be utterly amazed for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. When Sonia and I, my wife is with me today, today's her birthday, by the way. I'm glad that she's here. Yeah, she's... You can tell uh, I'm married much younger than myself. Uh, but uh, when Sonia and I first went to North Africa, be- began working with uh, Libyan Muslims, you know, we discovered over time sharing our faith, trying various approaches. We learned, in fact, hundreds of ways not to win Muslims to Christ. 
uh, it seemed like they were just tailor-made and designed to be uh, contrary to the gospel. They seemed to have an answer for everything that we presented to them. That was back in the early 1990s. Ten years later, we were back in uh, the Muslim world living in India. We lived in India for the next uh, six years, and something had changed. This was in the early 2000s. In fact, I began working there the week after 9-11. Something was different this time, though. We had partners who were coming out to join us from a Muslim background, evangelists who were going down to the mosque and sharing New Testament portions in Jesus films. And these evangelists had names like Muhammad and Islam. And I thought that's what we needed back in North Africa. We needed evangelists with names like Muhammad and Islam. And I wasn't sure what had happened, but I began to hear reports from various corners of the Muslim world that there were turnings of Muslim communities. Not just the individuals, the one, the two, the three, the hidden believers, those that were were forced to leave their country, but entire communities of thousands who were coming to faith in Christ. Now, I have to tell you, I think I'm a direct descendant of uh, St. Thomas, the doubting apostle, because frankly, I was fulfilling Habakkuk 1.5. I did not believe it even though I was told. I was approached uh, one day by a foundation, a Christian foundation that says, we're getting reports of Muslim movements to Christ. And the fellow who was on this uh, committee with this foundation, he said, David, he said, I was a missionary in Bosnia. I know how tough it is to reach Muslims. He said, you worked with Libyans. You know how tough it is. He says, frankly, I have trouble believing this is true. And I said, you know, I've got the same skepticism. I said, but I've got a list that a friend and I have been compiling of the rumors of movements. And I started reading off my list. And I had over a dozen that I had heard about in various corners of the Muslim world. And he said, David, if you would be willing to take off some time and go and explore and investigate What's happening? He said, I think our foundation would support you to do that. And I said, well, you know, I've never applied for a grant from a foundation before. I said, what makes you think they would fund this? He said, well, I'm on the board of directors. I think they would fund this. And, and I didn't know what I was getting into. In my mind, I was going to visit 12 movements, uh, get 12 random samplings from 12 men and 12 women. I was going to write a book with 12 chapters I was going to sell 12 million copies. It just seemed like God had his hand on that number 12. If I had known what I was getting into, I think I would have probably turned and run the other direction. Because I ended up spending the next three years, I traveled a quarter of a million miles through the Muslim world. Into every corner from West Africa to Indonesia and everywhere in between. And instead of gathering 12 interviews or 144 interviews, by the grace of God, I was able to gather more than 1,000 interviews each one of them from men and women who were from not just a Muslim background, but they were part of a movement of at least a 1,000 Muslims who had come to Christ in their community. The core question that I asked them was this, what did God use to bring you to faith in Jesus Christ? Tell me your story. I recorded these stories, translated these stories, we transcribed these stories. We were looking to see what are the patterns, what are the ways that God is at work because something different was happening today, something that we had never seen before. Now, I have a PhD from the University of Chicago. Let me tell you why I'm telling you that. Anytime a person with a PhD in history or church history says, this is unprecedented, it has never happened before. 
You can bet there's going to be PhDs who pop up all over the place and say, oh, David, you didn't do your homework, did you? You see, this actually happened in the 11th century, and it happened twice in the 9th century. It happened in the 13th century. So I was a little nervous about this. I went back and did my homework to find out when has this ever happened in church history. And I'm going to take you on that wild ride. You bear with me. I'm going to take you on a journey tonight and share with you as much as I can in the time allotted to me what God is doing in the Muslim world. First thing I want to do is introduce you to that world. Uh, this is a, an image of what's called the House of Islam. Now, we didn't invent that term. In fact, uh, uh, an Islamic jurist back in the 8th century named Abu Hanifa divided the the world into two houses. He said one is, in Arabic, the Dar al-Islam, the house of Islam. This is the house where Islamic rule and Islamic majorities dominate. So they're following the ways of Islam. The other part of the world he called the Dar al-Harb, the house of war. That's where you and I live. Isn't it nice to live in the house of war? Uh, It means that's the place where Islam is going. When I began exploring these movements of Muslims to Christ, what I discovered was that they were happening not in our world, in our house. They were happening in the house of Islam. But to understand the house of Islam, you had to see it in all of its complexity. Muslims are not the same. They're not monolithic. They make up about a fourth of the world's population today. They're still the fastest growing major religion in the world today. But when you look across This map, I want you to notice from West Africa, that's a different worldview, different culture, language, and history. Brother Hassan John has been with us this week and shares from the heart of that in Nigeria. It's an area of conflict between Christians and Muslims, as it is everywhere that there's a Christian population. North Africa, the land of the Berbers, the land where colonization has has jolted that part of the world for the uh, the last couple of centuries. Eastern Africa, more oriented toward the Indian Ocean. The Arab world, which some would call the living room in the house of Islam. And you notice those lines out of uh, the Arab world that are spreading across into North Africa and down into Eastern Africa. That's the Arabization process. The Arab world ran into a barrier when it hit the Persian world, Iran, and its empire that had stretched across into Afghanistan and into Tajikistan and Central Asia. And then that big yellow swath in the north is Turkestan. Stretching from the Uyghurs of western China that have been so much in the news recently, spreading all the way across the stands, Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, so forth, into Turkey and the Balkan states in Europe. And then moving south from there, western South Asia. Western South Asia is the area surrounding Afghanistan, Pakistan, western India that orients in that direction, an area of great conflict. And then eastern South Asia which we think of uh, Bangladesh as being the largest, uh, the second largest Muslim country or third largest in the world. And it's a place that's the most crowded room in the House of Islam with over 800 million Muslims in that room. And then finally, to the far distant shores of uh, Indonesia and and Malaysia, Indo-Malaysian room in the House of Islam. I wanted to see if these movements that I'd heard about were located in one place or another place, or if they were spread across. And one of the things I discovered to my amazement was that God is at work in every corner of the Muslim world. In fact, I I titled my book, A Wind in the House of Islam, and that wind is blowing through all nine rooms. However, it's different in each room. 
I wanted to discover how are West African Muslims coming to Christ? How are North Africans? How are Indo-Malaysian people? How are Uyghurs? How are others coming to Christ? So that we can become better fishers of men as we go into those rooms. Now, the, the history of Christian-Muslim interaction stretches out over 14 centuries. It was 1,400 years ago that uh, the Islamic calendar begins in the year 722. And for 14 centuries, frankly, Islam has been expanding. And for 14 centuries, it has been gobbling up Christian populations. You've seen in your Bible all those lands that we call the holy lands and the lands of the Pauline epistles and Paul's travels became predominantly Muslim homelands. And for 14 centuries, Islam has defeated Christian witness. But I wanted to see what's happening today. Not where Islam has expanded, but has Christianity ever seen movements? Let me quickly give you a definition of a movement. The movement definition I'm using is, you ready for this? At least a thousand baptisms in a particular ethno-linguistic community. Ethno-linguistic means they share the same language and sense of us-ness. And within that community, if there's been a thousand baptisms in 20 years or less... Would you agree that something is happening? We call that a movement. So when I say there's been movements, you'll know I'm always talking specifically about that. Now, again, because I'm a church historian and I was afraid some PhD would rise up and say, David, never use the word unprecedented. I went back to the beginning and this uh, graph up here, I hope you can see this. Use my little pointer. This is the seventh century. Starting on the left side, Islam began in the 7th century, 622 A.D. I'm going to document for you every time in recorded history that there was a Muslim movement of at least 1,000 who were baptized into the kingdom of God, into some denomination. In the 7th century, zero. 8th century, zero. 9th century, zero. During these same centuries, Islam was expanding throughout the Christian world, but not a single movement. And there were individuals, but we have no movements of a thousand, not until the 10th century. One movement takes place. 20,000 Arab Muslim men, it said, were baptized. And the area today would be on the border of Iraq and Turkey. And then we have the 11th century, zero movements. 12th century, zero movements. In the 13th century, there's two movements. One takes place in Libya. The other takes place in what today would be Lebanon. You said, David, how do you know these things? They were so unusual that they made history. They were documented. We know the names of the individuals involved in these. And then watch what happens. 14th, 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th centuries. 500 years without a single recorded Muslim movement to Christ of any denomination anywhere on the face of the earth. In fact, during these centuries, Christianity was wiped out in Central Asia. Christianity was reeling on its heels. The great Christian city of Constantinople became Istanbul, the center of the Ottoman Empire. We almost were swallowed up into the Muslim world ourselves. And then something happened in the 19th century. It's called the Great Century of Missionary Expansion. It wasn't until the last two decades of the 19th century, two movements take place. One in Indonesia, one in what today is Eritrea. I won't go into details about that. I just want you to know I was being thorough. I was looking for any movements I could identify. 
Then the 20th century. I'm looking out here and I think some of you maybe even remember the 20th century. How many of you remember the 20th century? Ancient history for the young people. But we remember it. The first half, no movements anywhere in the world because we were caught up in World War I, the Great Depression, World War II, the Bolshevik Revolution, the fall of, of Russia and China and then the satellite nations around them. In fact, missionaries were coming home during those difficult years. But in the final 35 years of the 20th century, Something happened. Eleven movements. We began to see them break out in unusual places. The first one being back in Indonesia. Two million Indonesians were baptized into churches between 1971 and 1974. Something was happening. They were taking place in other corners of what had been the communist world. But I want you to notice my research was focused on the 21st century. So let me tell you what's happening now in the 21st century. My book was published in 2014. So I finished my study really around the beginning of 2013. And it's not fair to compare 13 years with 100 years, is it? But I want you to see what was happening in those first 13 years. Now, would you agree with me? Something unprecedented is happening in our day. Something we have never seen before. God is doing something that makes us want to say, I can't believe it. In the first 12, 13 years of the 21st century, there's 69 new movements of Muslims to faith in Jesus Christ. At least 1,000 baptized believers in each one. In some cases, there were tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands who came to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, you may ask me, David, why is baptism such a big deal? Well, let me tell you, if I was in a room full of Muslims and I asked you all as Muslims, how many of you love Jesus? Every hand would go up. Muslims love Jesus as they know him from the Quran. But the Jesus of the Quran is not the Jesus of the New Testament. If I ask those same Muslims, how many of you would be willing to be baptized, die to an old life, symbolically rising to a new life as a follower of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? The only ones who would say yes are those who are willing to die because it's a capital offense. And that's why I put that, that criterion in my definition. God is doing something in our day with Muslims who are willing to say, I will die for this faith. What I want to do this evening, in the time that I have, bear with me. I'm going to fly through some things. I want to share with you some of how God is at work. And uh, I want to begin, as, as we always do, with Scripture. There are Scriptures that God is pointing us to uh, that really give us an insight into the ways that God is at work. I ah, see we may back up here. Well, let me give you the Scriptures, all right? There's always something that's a, a bit amiss. Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 8, you're familiar with this passage. Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of sin in regard, in, with guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, when I was a, a wee lad, see, I'm learning the language here. When I was a wee lad, I thought that meant the Holy Spirit was going to convict me when I sinned. And that's true enough. But that's not what Jesus said. He said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll convict the world. And what we've discovered is Muslims are a part of the world. The Holy Spirit is moving through Muslim communities, drawing them to their need for salvation. The second thing that we found in God's word that Jesus said is that 
The wind blows, he said this to Nicodemus, wherever it pleases. He said, you hear it sound, but you can't tell where it's coming from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. And as I gather these interviews, I listen to these Muslim background followers of Jesus Christ tell the story of how the Holy Spirit had blown through their lives. I looked in their eyes and I saw a reflection of the same Holy Spirit that blew through my life and turned my world upside down. The same one that came into your life, invaded your life, and turned it upside down. And that's that same wind that's blowing through the world today. So as missionaries go out, one of the things we're learning to do is find out where the Holy Spirit is blowing and then spread our sails and catch the wind of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to share with you, if I can, in these closing moments, five ways that God is at work in the world today. The first one is dreams and visions. All five of these are up here, but dreams and visions. You've heard a lot about that. And anyone who's worked in the Muslim world is going to find someone who says, I've had this dream of this person. He was, he was glowing bright as the sun and he was reaching out to me. I've even had people tell me they had, he had scars in his hands or in his wrists, but I couldn't make out his face. Now, I'm a Baptist, and we don't do a lot with dreams and visions. Someone asked me one time, he said, you know, why don't we have dreams and visions? I said, blame it on Sigmund Freud. You know, ever since that guy came along, you can't talk about your dreams and visions. But Muslims do, because Muhammad had dreams and visions, and he said, sometimes God will speak to you through dreams and visions. But I don't want you to be deceived. Just because they're having dreams and visions doesn't mean they're racing to the baptistry. And they're wanting to join churches. Oftentimes they're left puzzling, puzzled and confused. And that's why this second way that God is at work is so critical. God's word is being translated into the languages of all the Muslim peoples of the world. And what we've discovered is that many Muslims, it's one of the least literate, one of the most non-literate sectors of the world today. And so we're going the next mile and we're doing storying, telling the stories of the Bible in their heart language and producing things like the Jesus film and audio cassettes and all sorts of, of internet means of communicating to them the stories. Because unless they understand who that is that's reaching out to them in love. They may have the experience that a woman from North Africa who was living in France several years ago, some missionaries from Operation Mobilization were doing what they called a Love Europe campaign. They were spreading gospel literature everywhere and they met this woman and they shared the love of Christ with her and she rejected it. She said, no, no, I'm a Muslim. And they said, we're gonna pray that God would reveal to you the truth about his son. That night, she was asleep in her bed. She reported this to them the next day she woke up in the middle of the night and Jesus was standing at the foot of her bed. And she cried out, Allah, save me. It's the God of the Europeans. Now that's tragic, isn't it? But that tells you that dreams and visions alone are not enough, but combined with the word of God, that's a powerful, powerful cocktail. The third thing I want you to notice is the global village. God is stirring the Muslim world like never before. Today, there are more than 65 million people who are scattered outside of their homelands all over the world so that wherever you go, you can meet people from just about anywhere. I work with the ministry. Sonia and I work with Global Gates. Our vision statement is reaching the ends of the earth through global gateway cities. And what we found is that God has brought some of the least reached people in the world to live in New York City and Detroit and Dearborn and Houston and Los Angeles and Belfast and Bangor. He's bringing them here. 
And the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 17, verses 26 and 27, that God determines the boundaries and the times of every people on earth. And he does this for this purpose, so that perhaps they would reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. God is bringing them here so that they can be reached with the gospel. The fourth thing I want to tell you that God is using today, and in my book I have ten bridges of God. I'm only going to be able to give you five of them here. But a fourth thing is God is using Islam to bring Muslims to faith in Christ. Now you say, David, how is that possible? If I told you the greatest evangelist in the history of Iran was a guy that you all know. It wasn't Billy Graham. It was the Ayatollah Khomeini. And Muslims will tell you today, the Ayatollah Khomeini showed us Islam in all of its fullness. And that's why I'm a follower of Jesus today. We have an expression where I grew up. I'm sure it came from here. The expression was, God can hit straight with a crooked stick. And God is using crooked sticks in the Muslim world today. Things like... uh, Warfare and and battles and ISIS and terrorism and, and totalitarian dictators within the Muslim world that's causing Muslims to realize this cannot be God's perfect will. And they're running with their hearts open. And many of them are finding Jesus. Within Islam itself, many Muslims, and we found that so many of these that were interviewed in my book, they were imams and sheikhs. And mullahs, they were leaders in the Muslim community because they were the ones who could understand the Quran. They had read the Hadith, the stories of the life of the Prophet Muhammad. And when they read those stories, they compared Muhammad with Jesus, and there was no comparison. God is using Islam, even the person of the Prophet Muhammad, to drive people to faith in Jesus. The final thing that God's using, and I love this, this was counterintuitive, I never expected to find this. But I heard this again and again and again. I was in North India and I was uh, interviewing a fellow who they said was leading a large movement of Muslims to Christ. I'm going to use his name, Abdullah. That's not his actual name. We changed the names in the book. But I asked Abdullah, I said, tell me your story. How did you come to faith in Christ? He said, you know, the person who was most instrumental was a fellow named Captain Fernandez. And I thought, Captain Fernandez, probably a navigator or something, you know, with some Christian ministry. He goes, no, 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 I don't think he was a Christian. I said, Abdullah, I'm confused. He said, sit down and let me tell you. He said, many people in my village, they have to leave India to go and find jobs somewhere else. I was working in the merchant marine. He said, and I would work for eight hours every day on the ship, but I would take the next eight hours and I would try to memorize my Quran. I had a copy of the Quran in Arabic and I would try to memorize it. And one day the captain of the ship, Captain Fernandez, came and said, Abdullah, He said, I see you reading that book all the time. Everyone else is trying to work 10 hours, 12 hours. You're only working eight hours. What is that book you're reading? And I said, oh, captain, this is the word of Allah. This is the Holy Quran. And he said, I've heard of that. Would you read me something from it? So Abdullah said, I opened it up to the first surah. And instead of reading it, I recited the whole surah to him. And when I finished, he said, Abdullah, that's beautiful. What does it mean? And I said, oh, Captain, I I don't know. It's in Arabic, and I don't really understand Arabic. Captain Abdullah said something to me. Abdullah said, he said something that changed my life forever. I said, what did he say? He looked at me, he said, Abdullah, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. (laughs) He said, I was so angry, I wanted to jihad him right there. He said, but I went and I sat down on the deck, and I opened my Quran, I started reading again. And inside, though, my head was saying, Stupid, 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 stupid. 
said, I made a commitment that when I got back to India, I would find a copy of the Quran in my own language. And by the grace of God, the Quran today is being translated into languages all over the world. Thanks be to King Fahd of Saudi Arabia. I think he was inspired by Wycliffe Bible translators. And it's undermining the Quran everywhere because Abdullah said, when I finished reading the Quran in my language, I realized for the first time in my life that I was lost because there was no plan of salvation in the Quran. There was no one to deal with my sinfulness. But I, I, I read about Jesus. He was mentioned 96 times in the Quran. Muhammad only four times. So, so I went to a church and I said to them, give me a New Testament. I want to read about it. And they said, are you a Christian? I said, no, I'm a Muslim. They said, we will not give you one. This is for Christians. And I left. I didn't know what to do. I went back that night and I stole a New Testament. <laughs> said, so I sat down and I read the New Testament. I discovered two things. The first thing I discovered was that Jesus was God's plan of salvation. That Jesus had taken on the sins of the world and my sins. And the second thing I discovered was that I loved Jesus with all my heart. And I gave my life to Jesus. So I asked Abdullah, I said, Abdullah, what are you doing? How do you share the gospel with Muslims in your community? He said, you know, if I tell them about the New Testament, they'll reject me. So I asked them, have you read the Quran? And they'll say to me, oh, no, I don't understand Arabic. I can't really read it. I said, no, 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 it's been translated into our language. Let me get you a copy. And after you've read it, let's talk. So I asked Abdullah, I said, Abdullah, how's it going? What kind of response have you gotten? He said, well, so far we have 23,000 waiting for baptism. God can hit straight with a crooked stick. But the last thing I want you to notice, it's faithful obedience It's missionaries who are willing to go out from places like this church, from Northern Ireland, from America, from Korea, from all over the world, who say, though they take my life, I will tell them about Jesus. And now they are picking up the mantle, and they're sharing it with their family and friends. One of our close friends from Bangladesh who was left for dead twice, a Muslim background believer named Shah. Shah told me, he says, you know, David, they can cut my body into 10,000 pieces. And every piece will cry out, Jesus Christ is Lord. Faithful obedience. God is at work in our world. God is doing something that you would not believe. God bless you. We trust you've enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to make a donation to support the work of Bangor Worldwide, please visit www.worldwidemission.org slash donate.